Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for listening to us today. Here's a headline that we are starting to see repeated every year. This past summer was the hottest ever recorded on our planet. Minnesota is dealing with drought after months of little rain and blistering heat. And our state might actually be one of the lucky ones because many parts of our country are dealing with worse amped up hurricanes, wildfires, massive rain events that lead to flooding, and dangerously high heat. The climate crisis is all around us, and it is hard to ignore. Listen to some of what's dominated news coverage recently. A heavy pall of polluted air still blankets much of the eastern U.S. tonight. It may not dissipate for days as fires Millions of people were under hazardous air quality advisories today from the northeast to the south. It is a warm Tuesday afternoon, a hot one actually. That temperature needle pushing 100 today. New record in the Twin Cities. And this weather could continue. Hurricane Adalia roared ashore at 7.45 this morning. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Let's sit with what we just heard for a moment. The climate isn't doing great, and neither are we. A University of Minnesota survey shows that 76% of residents in the state are concerned about climate change, and many of those people are experiencing climate anxiety, especially Gen Z, young adults. So right now, we're going to talk about the climate crisis, stirring up all these feelings of of worry and fear and what we can do about it. As I talk with my guests, I definitely want to hear from you too. Our phone lines are open and I want to know what are you doing to ease your anxiety about the climate crisis? And what questions do you have for our guests who study and write about climate change? You can call us at these numbers, 651 one two two seven six thousand again six five one two two seven six thousand or call us at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight let's bring in our guests here in the studio with me I have Christy Manning Christy is an associate professor of environmental studies at McAllister College in St Paul her research focuses on how people respond to the climate crisis and what motivates community level action. Good morning to you, uh, Christy. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Angela. Good morning. Allison Chu is joining us. Allison is a reporter for The Washington Post. She is one of the many climate journalists with the newspaper and writes about climate solutions. Allison is joining us from Washington, D.C. Welcome to the program, Allison. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your time. So I want to start uh, with with climate anxiety. Uh, You're both uh, in your work. You're immersed in the reality of of our changing planet. So does thinking about climate change and and, and working in this field, does it keep you up sometimes at night? Do you feel it's stressing you out sometimes? Uh, Allison? Well, I mean, I guess I'll just start off by saying that, you know, climate journalists are definitely not immune to climate anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if anything, like, like you just mentioned, Angela, you know, we in our, in our work are exposed to the news all the time um, mm-hmm. and, and the realities of, of the situation um, and sort of on the flip side of that as well, you know, the realities of um, what's being done to address it. And I think, you know, being steeped in the news and so sort of intimately, connected and familiar with what's going on, um, 
you know, there's, there's definitely moments where I think people on, on my team and, and, you know, peers that I've, that I've spoken with, it's, it's hard not to feel a little bit anxious. And, um, I think the, the way that, you know, we've, we've talked about it is, is, um, at least for, for me and, and, and the, the focus of my work is climate solutions. And so that's, Mm -hmm. that's been a, a really nice sort of antidote to that anxiety, knowing that there are a lot of really smart people out there in the world, um, you know, working on, on ways to address these, these really big problems. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as a journalist myself, Allison, and working in newsroom, newsrooms, I I know we have a lot of meetings. So (laughs) I'm I'm imagining your your team (laughs) meetings. And are there just points where just all of you are just like, let's just take a deep, deep breath for a moment here. (laughs) And and think about how we're going to, you know, talk about this and write about this for, you know, people who are reading the paper. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, You know, our our team meetings are, are a great way for us to all come together. And um, like you said, to really think about, um, the best way to do our coverage and also to use them as a way to, you know, check in with one another and, um, you know, see how, see how everybody, everybody's doing. And, um, you know, oftentimes you just get a lot of opportunity to, to talk about, you know, your stories and, and, and all those things. And it really, um, really lends itself to, uh, you know, being able to provide, um, really sort of thorough and comprehensive coverage that covers, you know, everything from the news to what, um, what's being done. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Christy, what about you? I mean, you're, you're teaching, you're doing research. Uh, do you feel some anxiety oh, at, at times? Absolutely. Yes. And similar to Allison, the, I, I see the data. I have to be familiar with what's happening. I have to follow the news coverage and it, it definitely spikes my own worry and concern. And that is also exacerbated by when I work with students and their questions and their concern. And then in my other roles in life as a parent, You're I a also, mom. I'm a mom. I, mm-hmm. I think about the future of my own children and, and all of those things definitely keep climate change front and center. And it is worrying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I mentioned that survey at the U and talking about 76% of residents in, in Minnesota being concerned about climate change, especially young adults. But you mentioned when you walked in the studio, she's like, well, you know, parents and grandparents mm-hmm. are also worried. Yes. A, a couple of years ago, I did a little research study that I haven't published yet with a student, Lauda Botero from McAllister. And we surveyed a whole bunch of people. And what we found was anybody over over 30 who has a connection mm-hmm. to somebody who's under 20, a child, a grandchild, a mentee, they are definitely more prone to being worried about it and more willing to take action to and do something about climate about change. about it. Uh, yes, very yeah. important, talking about it. Because one of the reasons uh, our team, we want to do this show, like we've talked a lot about the science. Uh, we've talked uh, a lot with climatologists and meteorologists, but I want to talk about how people are feeling about it and how they're, you know, expressing it and how it's impacting people's actions. And so, Christy, in what ways are we seeing um, climate change affect uh, mental health? Oh, there there definitely is a widespread concern and also in a, in a smaller number of people, concern is widespread in a small number of people, it, it can reach maladaptive levels of worry where it gets in the way. It's debilitating in your every everyday life. That's unusual, but it's definitely out there. 
And is climate anxiety, is that the right term? Or other, there's sort of like, is it on a spectrum? Because there can be people who are concerned, people who are curious, and then people who have anxiety, as you said, affects the, the way they live their day-to-day lives. So this is definitely an issue that is being processed and debated and researched right now in the psychological and psychiatric communities. So mental health professionals. Mental health are professionals studying are mm-hmm. studying this. And you, you've you already said that, that being worried about climate change is realistic. It is it is mm-hmm. a concern that we should all have. If you know the data, it's worrying. So should we pathologize that? No. But on the other hand, we should recognize and understand and have interventions available f- for people for whom it is debilitating. It's getting in the way of their living their everyday lives. What's an example of that? Like, Oh, people who are paralyzed by concern and, and just can't even leave their apartments. Uh, there, there are, and in extreme circumstances, we are seeing um, potentially connections to things like suicidal ideation. Uh, but it's really just that I'm so worried that I can't live my daily life. I'm going to hide under the covers. Like what's the point? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the mental health community, are, are there some methods? Uh, is there some type of therapeutic treatment at, at this point? There are n- not yet validated specific treatments for climate anxiety. There are lots of treatments for anxiety in general that are being mm-hmm. applied. And the therapeutic community is working on that. Allison, is this something your team has written about as well, climate anxiety? Absolutely. Um, you know, we have, we've done stories on sort of the, the rise in, in the idea of climate, quote unquote, doomers replacing climate deniers. Um, mm-hmm. And very similar to what, what Christy is talking about, you know, there, there is, um, you know, concern among climate scientists, um, environmentalists, you know, people who are, are really doing a lot of work to um, push solutions and, and think about how do we address these, these really sort of what seem like um, uh, big, scary problems. Um, there's a lot of concern that, you know, this type of fatalistic, um, you know, doomism type thinking um, can also be paralyzing in terms of action and um, getting in the way of people feeling like they can um, they can do something about about climate change, whether that's at you know an individual level or a community level. Um, Allison, last year I did a, a talk show about more people choosing not to have children, uh, being childless by choice. And uh, my guests, many of the listeners who called into that program said that one reason that they are choosing not to have children is because they're worried about the climate crisis and, and what the future might hold for the planet. And is that something that you've heard in conversations, Allison? Absolutely. That's that's definitely one of the um, the questions that comes up quite often. And um, you know, there's there's been uh, surveys done on it, and and um, a lot of you know think pieces and and research, um, and uh, you know, as as I think anyone who uh, takes spends a little bit of time in the climate space will come to realize, um, things like questions, um, you know, questions like should I have children. Um, or really anything around around this the space. Unfortunately, the answer is always you know it's 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 complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, there mm-hmm. there isn't always a you know sort of a clear clean cut answer, especially when we're you know we're talking about um, you know something like having children. Um, 
And, and another big reason they, they also gave in that uh, conversation had to do with, you know, economic reasons, right? Because it's so expensive. Um, but, but the climate mm-hmm. concern was, was clearly real. And, and Christy, you interact with, with students at the U. You have students or, or young people in your own life. Is, is that something that you've heard as well? It came up in my class yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a concern that, that students express and that they're feeling. And it comes down to, I do I want to have a bring up a child to face the kind of of suffering that unabated climate change is likely to bring into into their lives it's it's really a moral ethical question for them and some would say i mean just over the course of time there's always been you know things that have happened in the world that make people wonder like what is life going to be like for our children you and i were just discussing we were both uh pregnant right before 9 11 uh or during that time and that you know we have these these young 20 year olds now um and that's something i worried about like oh the world is changing i'm worried what will his life be like um so is does that seem is that part of a conversation too I would say that the a little bit of what Allison was talking about the, the the sense of doom and that comes from seeing the the path we're on in terms of climate emissions rising climate impacts increasing and our societal lack of action on it. We're taking action, but it's not commensurate to the problem. And not enough and, and not fast not enough. Not enough and not fast enough. And so students see that and think, mm-hmm. so what does what does that mean? Why I, I see where this is going. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take some phone calls uh, as we talk about climate anxiety and ways to manage our worries. Uh, I want to hear from you. If, if you are anxious about the climate crisis, how do you cope with it? And, and how is it affecting how you live your life? What are you doing to manage your fears? We're talking with two guests, Christy Manning, a, an assess, associate professor of environmental studies there at McAllister College, as well as Allison Chu, who is part of the reporting team at The Washington Post, uh, who covers climate solutions. Give us a call at 651-227-6000, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. Let's bring in some of our listeners uh, into the conversation in Roseville. Dale is on the phone. Good morning, Dale. What do you want to tell us um, about the climate crisis and how you're thinking about it? Oh, God. (laughs) Where to begin? (laughs) Good morning. Hi. Good morning. A beautiful day, a nice, uh, cool day. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been it's been lovely to have it cool down a little bit but yeah i've been i started stress eating in 2000 about this so um stress I, eating? i'm an old hat at being stress eating oh yeah i gained 40 pounds in in 2000 after learning about it with the gore bush campaign um and um became very aware of the trajectory of the planet then and uh it was fun but uh i thought well this isn't productive so but the only thing that helped me is action. And I, I came to, you know, come to, came to that uh, early on, um, yelling out my car window wasn't doing anything for anybody. Uh, it was cathartic mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> for a little while. But uh, action is what gives me any kind of hope. And um, our church had a book recall, uh, Active Hope. It's a wonderful book. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it, it brings people to a place where they can move and act and, and get them off the hot plate. Um, you know, um, uh, in psychology, there's something called learned helplessness, and people just 
keep doing the same thing with no action, they pretty soon stop doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's that's where I see a lot of people are at, or denialism. There's tons of denialism. I, I run into it every day because I'm a little bit outgoing and outspoken about this. So I, I get all kinds of reactions from, yes, I'm doing it, to, oh, there's no such thing as global warming, which it's just hard for me to... <laughs> that creates as much anxiety as the evidence we're seeing all around us. Mm, so mm-hmm. I, I retooled my business and, re, and call it Green Rock Apartments. And because oh, we're greening up the rock, we're green and we rock. Can have fun with that. And I bought in 10 commercial buildings and every dime I have goes to fight global warming. And mm. I've been doing this since 2000. So we have a little eco village in, in South Minneapolis where I've got solar on the buildings. We have EV charge stations that we share. Um, all kinds of stuff. So we've we've been fighting hard on this front, uh, looking for any kind of assistance, and our tenants are on board. It's it's this we we've got stuff to do. There's a long list, and that really is cathartic. Plant a tree. Um, stop mowing your lawn and, and grow a garden. You know, um, I have four acres I manage with a shovel, a weed whip, and a blower. And um, and I haven't burned gas in 13 years. So doing and something, just do taking action, doing something on an individual level that has helped you help you mentally oh. uh, deal with this anxiety. Well, yeah, but then also you reach out from there and you build community. So we've got an environmental group at our church that's very active. We plant trees. We work on legis- legislative action. There's, we've got a myriad of things that we do, and then there's other groups that we put wind in their sails by volunteering for other groups too so Mm -hmm. um yeah so so building community around this action and just walking through the day being conscious of our carbon footprint it's it's like um one thing i developed at our church is kind of a um a workshop on the zen of being green instead of a to-do list is just a way of being like do you value your air how long can we go without air three Mm -hmm. minutes how long can we go without water three days. How long can we go without food? Three weeks. So we should really be reorganizing our priorities to our air, water, and soil, and not to money. I mean, money money is such a man-made construct. And yes, we all have the system that we have have to have money. Oh, uh, but it's about Dale, how we look at our There's resources. so much to, to process in what you've shared. Thank you for calling in. I, I, I love your story. And I, and you're doing better now with your uh, how you're eating. You're not continuing to, to stress eat, sounds like. Right. <laughs> good. I'm happy to hear that. My Thank- cholesterol is under control. All My right. There's a, a lot of good news there. Thank you, Dale. Uh, Christy, I, I want to talk to you uh, about this. Because this is your uh, what you're researching on, uh, how people respond to the climate crisis and what motivates community level action. This is Dale. Right? Yes. Yes. And, and it turns out that um, anxiety, the worry, it's, it's a natural human impulse. Sure. That mm-hmm. when we feel fear of something, we take action to protect ourselves. So climate anxiety is a natural reaction to noticing that the climate is changing and the projections of what could happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And taking action alleviates that discomfort. The research in, from psychology shows that collective action Doing things with other people, as Dale mentioned, he in mentioned community, his church, group. Mm-hmm. church group, 
that is more powerful in alleviating the anxiety than in doing individual sphere action, although that is also helpful. And one other thing that Dale mentioned that's really important is that we all have the potential within the organizations that we're a part of to change the systems we live in by working at that organizational level. So all of the apartment buildings, that think of the number of people who are living a greener life because of the changes in the apartments. Mm-hmm. So if we work with the organizations we work for, we can actually change the possibilities for other people to alleviate their climate anxiety by being part of greener living. I could hear Dale. I mean, he's like, I- I'm doing my part. I- I'm sleeping better at night. Sounds like that. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, Allison, what are your thoughts, uh, Adele from Roseville, what he just shared? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, Christy really touched on a lot of um, great points with that, especially when it comes to sort of community action. I think, you know, people in the in the climate solutions space are always talking about um, scaling things up. You know, how do we have a, a large scale impact on something? And, you know, I, I've spoken to some experts who who note that, you know, it's it's critical to not entirely dismiss individual action. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there are some potential downsides to the thinking that, um, you know, you know, quote unquote, every little bit helps. Um, but and, and I think what they're trying to emphasize is, you know, there are certain actions that would matter more. Um, and, and as we've been discussing, you know, the, the idea of having community scale, um, group action is, is really critical here. Thinking about, you know, the, the impact, um, the impact of that action. And even, um, as, as Chrissy touched on sort of the, the ripple effects of, of what, you know, you as a group, you as a community and you as an individual could, could be having. You heard uh, Dale also talk about just the impact of it that uh, he attributes uh, his anxiety over the climate crisis to his his stress eating. Um, and is that something that you've heard too, uh, uh, Allison, and, and like how it manifests it, in itself in people's activities? Mm, um, I mean, this is maybe something a question I'll toss over to Christy first. Um, but you know, I I think um, when it comes to stress and anxiety, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways um, that it can, that it can manifest for a person. And he also said denial, having conversations with people who are in denial, that that amped up his anxiety. And so the, the denial conversations, are they becoming less frequent? Do you think, Allison? Um, I don't, uh, I, I wonder, you know, I, I hesitate to say becoming less frequent because, but the um, people you know, we you, know that. That you interview, are you finding that there seems to be more of a widespread belief that this is actually a crisis? I believe that's true. I think the, uh, the um, I believe it was Yale that did a survey, um, might have, trying to remember the timing of it, but um you know, there's there's research showing that um, people people n- know that the climate that the climate um, you know that climate change is is real. It's happening. Um, you know, there's there's polling that that shows that huge majorities in this country understand that global warming is real. Mm-hmm. It's caused by humans. Um, you know, they they know those things to be true, um, and that's actually um, an interesting part of of sort of people who are looking at climate communication are thinking about because it's, it's the question of, you know, our, our efforts to persuade people about the reality of, of climate change is that, is that where we should be focusing on? And, and some spoken to about that are saying, you know, no, actually we should be talking about, um, you know, 
how people, how the American public, you know, is quote unquote green and, you know, understanding that, that a lot of people, you know, do care very deeply about climate change now and, and appealing to that versus uh, trying to convince people that global warming is real because, you know, we have polling to suggest that, um, that, that understanding is out there in the public for a majority of people. And Christy, you started researching the climate crisis and how people think and talk about it and, and their actions in around 2000. Have we made progress? What's, what's the big progress that you've seen? In Certainly there is a wider spread understanding and a consciousness, but there is still a lot of hesitance to have conversations about the climate crisis. I have a room full of students, 22 students in my class, who intentionally took a class with climate change in the name of the course, and only about half of them said that they've had a conversation with somebody in the last week about climate change. So it is just not out there as much as it could be, nor are we taking or talking about or uh, motivating the kinds of actions that we need to be motivating. And that actually helps fuel the climate anxiety, right? If you Mm -hmm. are worried about something and you can't do anything about it, Mm -hmm. it's a psychological mechanism to make it emotionally, mentally go away, emotion-focused coping. And so the more, as Allison said, the more that we can make opportunities available that we can talk about solutions, mm-hmm. the more we give people opportunities to channel their worry into doing something about it. All right. We're going to talk about that right now. Uh, I want to take a phone call from a listener uh, in Cottage Grove. Ruth is on the phone. Good morning, Ruth. What do you want to tell us as we talk about the climate crisis? Good morning. I just wanted to talk to you about my fourth graders. I'm a retired teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we in social studies, we learned about Earth and Earth's atmosphere. And the greenhouse effect is a positive thing that allows us to have actually life on Earth. And when I then, and I always taught that. And when I saw an inconvenient truth, I thought to myself, this is perfect. I have the perfect opportunity to educate people. And we talked about this in the context of our unit on electricity. Where does your electricity come from? What can you do to lessen the greenhouse effect, to lessen global warming? Well, if no one's watching the TV, turn it off. When you leave the room, turn the lights off. Walk to school instead of riding in the car or ride your bike. All these kinds of things. And, you know, it empowers people. And people who are empowered don't have the anxiety. And I think our Gen Z, they give me so much hope. I'm retired now, but I've been driving a hybrid car since 2005, and we're getting solar panels installed on our roof. We are making progress in the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a misnomer. It's really a climate act. Um, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for it. We can do this. I need to feel empowered. Every individual needs to feel empowered. It's about us. It's about our choices. It's about our lifestyles. And it's about enough and having enough in this consumer society. Thank you. That's Ruth there in Cottage Grove. Uh, That sounds inspirational, Allison. uh, I'm curious about some of the feedback that you get from uh, readers uh, of some of the articles that you write and your colleagues at The Post uh, on the climate team. Uh, What 
how would you characterize the feedback that you get on some of your reports? Um, you know, I would definitely say on on the solutions oriented stories, <laughs> there is um, there is for sure an appetite um, mm-hmm. for or, or you know a an interest, a strong interest in, in people wanting to know what can they do, and, and not mm-hmm. only what can they do, but will will what they do um, you know have an impact? Will it actually matter? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, care among our readers and sort of understanding their impact and trying to figure out you know what are the the most impactful things that I can do, you know, to, and exactly to Ruth's point, to, you know, to have that feeling of, um, of empowerment, but also knowing that, they're, that they're doing things that, um, you know, will, will actually matter in sort of the, the, the big, the, the larger picture. Let's go to Columbia Heights, uh, and talk with Claire. Good morning, Claire. Thank you for waiting. Thank you for calling in. Yes. Good morning. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about my experience with climate anxiety um, about in 2016, I was taking a class in college, and I ended up watching the movie Cowspiracy, which uh, taught me a lot about the impact of eating meat on the environment. And um, I tried to be vegan for a few months, but the psychology with which I was doing that was very much um, uh, seeing climate change as an individual problem and something that I needed to solve on my own. And how can I reduce my impact the most and that actually led me to like thoughts of suicide um thinking that well if i'm going to take that logic all the way to reduce my footprint i would make the biggest impact by removing myself Mm -hmm. and i realized that just was not a holistic and sustainable way of approaching the matter and um getting older and learning more it's um very much a systemic issue it's a very complex issue And um, I used to think very much all or nothing. And I feel like as children, that's very much the logic. But as I've become an adult, a young adult, um, I realized that it's more something or something. And that I needed to start with the acceptance of the likelihood that we will not uh, be able to have the solutions or do enough to stop mass suffering from climate change. But that doesn't mean that I can't do anything. And so at my church, we're very active. We do a lot of permaculture work, things, uh, living together. Um, I I live with some other roommates to reduce our impact um, and build a culture around action, but not anxiety, Mm -hmm. accepting that this Mm -hmm. may not do everything. And also for myself, deciding not to have children. Um, I'm 24 years old and I lead our young adults group at the church. And I think a lot of us are Um, thinking about that. And so just being able to live a meaningful life, even without having children, and being able to be happy um, with, yeah, accepting the reality that (laughs) humanity may go extinct. Um, And so and living with that juxtaposition is something I want to help my generation with. Mm. And Claire, I, I I love hearing you talk about moving and focusing on action rather than anxiety and um and that that you understand it is not your full responsibility you know uh to solve this but uh in community that has been helpful and healing for you like being with other people who are working on yes. on change that has helped you Absolutely Thank you for sharing your story, uh, Claire, there in Columbia Heights. Um, uh, Christy, you're with with young people uh, all the time. Does this uh, sound familiar? Oh, this so resonates. And Claire, I'm so sorry 
for what you went through and mm-hmm. also so glad that you took steps and that you mm-hmm. found ways to turn your thinking around. Um, I, I want to say a, a couple of things. First, the it is not an individual problem to solve. Climate change is a, a collective systems level problem. The idea that it's up to us as individuals to do everything to change our lives, to not have a carbon footprint, that is an idea created by fossil fuel companies and foisted upon us. It is not true. They continue to intervene in societal level efforts to address the climate crisis. It is not individuals' faults that we are in the situation we we are in. There are widespread campaigns for misinformation. It is all about the bottom line of fossil fuel companies. Um, the other thing that I wanted to, to say is Yay, group level action and gathering together in community. She and mentioned doing a, something. a church group again. Yeah, a I, church group. I, that's new to me. I didn't realize that there were that many church groups. Yeah. That there are people working, addressing the climate crisis in that, that Yep, faith based communities are a, a powerhouse for climate action. There's an organization in the Twin Cities, Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light, that helps ch- faith based mm-hmm. communities gather together and take action. Isaiah is another one. Allison, uh, in the reporting that you're doing at The Post and your colleagues on the climate team, uh, what do you want people to know about some of the climate solutions that seem to really be gaining traction, that really seem to uh, make people feel better, but also are, are is be, that are being seen as having an impact? Anything you want people to know about the solutions that are, are giving you and others hope? Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a great question, and, and there there is like we've talked about. There's a lot mm-hmm. of um, a lot that's happening. A lot of a lot um, that's you know a lot of moving parts in in the solution space. Um, you know, as as um, I, I believe it was Ruth who who shouted out the IRA. Um, you know, there's a lot that people can take advantage in in um, you know with with that, especially and and things that really do make a difference. So these types of uh, the, you know, home improvements and, and installing heat pumps and having subsidies to do that. Um, you know, thinking about, uh, sort of, uh, really impactful decisions around, you know, flying and, and driving and, um, the amount of, amount of meat you consume. Um, you know, those are, are, uh, life choices that, um, you know, experts within the solution space say that they've, that they're sort of seeing as, as, you know, potentially, having sort of, um, you know, these larger, larger impact than, um, you know, doing something like, uh, turning off the faucet every time you brush mm-hmm. your teeth so you don't waste water. You know, that's something that you should definitely do and isn't, and, and can be important as, you know, doing something for the environment. But, um, it's, it's something that one of the experts that I've spoken to has emphasized, you know, it's not a quote unquote high impact action when it comes to climate. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's work around that to sort of understanding where, where are the, where are the high impact actions? And I, and, you know, I think that that work is still ongoing. Home improvements, flying and driving, meat consumption. Tell us more about airline travel. What's known about airline travel and its connection to uh, climate change? Um, You know, we know that uh, there, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, emissions um, associated with um, flying, um, there it's, it's nuanced though, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's, there's research suggesting that, you know, it, 
we really need to do a lot around sort of maybe trying to cut back on these uh, short haul flights, um, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, a, a plane sort of uses the most fuel as it's, as it's, you know, taking off, getting off the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, what, what types of flights are, uh, do we need to be thinking about um, how many how many people are on the flight? You know, a, a private jet flight versus a commercial airline. So these are all questions that are being discussed. Um, you know, when it comes to thinking about the the footprint of aviation, and then driving and uh, the impact. You know, this move uh, to more vehicles uh, that are electric, for example. Uh, what should people know about that? How much of an impact can that make? Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, really, a really great question. And, and I think something that a lot of people are thinking about, especially, you know, given the, the IRA and, and the, um, the, the benefits in there towards, you know, trying to promote a greater adoption of, of EVs. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, again, nuance around these types of decisions. Um, I don't, there's, there's questions about, um, you know, obviously accessibility to EVs, accessibility to charging stations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a lot of these types of climate solutions, one thing that I hear time and time again from the experts that I talk to is that, um, you know, it, it has to work for the individual. You know, it has to work in, in your life. So if you are someone who um, is in a position to buy an EV or have an EV and, um, you know, you're, you're in a privileged enough to have that op- option, um, then it's something to really think about. But not as, as we've talked about, there are a lot of inequities when it comes to climate solutions. Um, and, you know, not everyone is in the position to adopt some of these changes. And that's, I think, going back to um, the point that Christy brought up, which is, you know, their climate change is this sort of systemic mm-hmm. issue. And it and the idea of these things that individuals can do, that that's all part of sort of a larger ecosystem of change that still very much requires these systemic level changes to happen at the same time. All right. Anything you want to add, uh, Christy? No? Okay. Let's take another phone call. Uh, lots of phone calls. Uh, this one from River Falls. Uh, Marin is on the phone. Good morning, Marin. What do you want to tell us about climate anxiety and the climate crisis? Good morning, Angela. This uh-huh. is Marin in River Falls. Um, I am a janitor. I own a janitorial cleaning company. And one uh-huh. of our biggest stresses, one of my biggest stresses is the amount of garbage that we throw away Mm. Um, on any kind of shift across all industries. uh, A lot of the liners that we see that get Mm -hmm. tossed, um, the cleaning chemicals that we, we use, we try to use vinegar and um, use as minimal product as possible. We reuse our rags. We use uh, efficient equipment, Mm. but the amount of single use, items, anything from straws all the way up to large styrofoam containers is extremely stressful. And it's one of those things where you think about if people could stop and think about using something again and again, what a difference that would make because we've all seen, you know, the plastics thrown about, um, you know, especially in the oceans or even on the streets of our own cities and towns. Um, and obviously that's affecting the ecosystem and the ability for the earth to heal itself. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I would ask is people consider what they're using and how and see if they can use less. All right. Uh, Marin there uh, runs a janitorial company. Uh, you're an environmental studies prof- uh, professor. Uh, Christy, what do we need to know about these the, like single-use plastics? That we do need to reduce them and that the 
the the way to do that is through systemic level changes, policy changes, uh, encouraging companies to not produce single use, having a um, better takeout containers, reusable takeout containers. There's a little uh, group that Foreverware that produ- that has restaurants and coffee shops using reusable takeout containers that you can borrow mm-hmm. for $5 and bring it back the next time you visit the restaurant. There are lots of ways that we can reduce the plastic trash that we are producing. And uh, this is an invisible climate impact because we th- when we throw something away, it, it magically goes away. And we all need to make that impact a lot more visible in our own, own lives. I highly recommend taking a tour of an incinerator or a landfill to anybody who can. Can you do that? The, oh, yeah, can you can. Arranged? I was there with my class yesterday at the Herc incinerator. What did they see? What did they say? They saw see the tipping floor. They smell the smell of the garbage, they feel the dust in the air. They uh, they they feel the heat. It's it's terribly disgusting. It makes and you think about things. Makes you very motivated to not throw things away. Allison, I want to make sure we talk about the heat. Um, you reported over the summer about the heat in Arizona and and the rest mm-hmm. of the U.S. Um, and that you know that we're sort of adjusting uh, to the heat as a new normal for Americans, no matter you know where we live. And so I right. do I do know if you live in a, in a part of the country that has heat pretty frequently, uh, you probably deal with it by using air conditioning. And air conditioning is seen as problematic. So um, because AC uses a, a tremendous amount of energy. Um, what can you tell us a, about that? The, 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 all of this heat and, and using all this air conditioning, yeah. um, what, what have you been writing about that? What do we need to know? Right. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a little bit of a, a pretty, pretty big, uh, you know, dilemma because we know that during these extreme heat events um, from a physical health standpoint, um, being in an air conditioned space is what keeps people safe. Yes. It's mm-hmm. what it's, it's what prevents, you know, potentially fatal heat stroke. And so air conditioning is, is really cr- a critical tool in the toolkit. Um, but as you pointed out, we know that air conditioning is one of the biggest energy users in homes across most of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so knowing that, you know, there, there's really changes that you, that people can make to their spaces and, and how you use air conditioning that can sort of help save energy. And, and that can be something as simple as even adjusting the thermostat a couple degrees warmer than what you would normally keep it at. So it doesn't have to be sort of a drastic shut off. Um, as we talked about, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these solutions are sort of on a spectrum. Um, and in, in some cases, you know, doing a little bit here and there, you know, can make a difference over, over the course of, of, you know, something like a summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, it's important to emphasize that, um, Having air conditioning when it comes to these extreme heat events is is very critical for public health. And Allison, another headline that really rattled me this summer um, had to do with with rising ocean temperatures um, that we saw in mm-hmm. Florida earlier this summer. So why should we care about marine heat waves? Absolutely, you know it. It's one of those things where um, when when it comes to the oceans, for 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 some people, it really can be out of sight, out of mind. Um, but we have to remember that, you know, the oceans are, are a critical ecosystem and, and they contain coral reefs and, and mm-hmm. coral reefs without them, you know, I think people are, people are, are sort of even, it, it's hard to sort of fathom what, what could, what that fallout could be. 
Um, but we know that that they, these are, again, critical ecosystems. And when you have something like a marine heat wave, um, you know, it, it triggers these large scale bleaching events. Um, and one thing that scientists in Florida are particularly worried about, um, you know, is that it could be it could be so hot that um, a lot of these corals um, are not only bleaching but they're also dying. So one important thing to keep in mind, um, and it's 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 one of the things that um, can can drive some hope, is that when it comes to corals, uh, a bleached coral isn't a dead coral. So a bleached coral can recover, um, but it's a matter of sort of you know mm-hmm. how to how to to support that recovery in an environment um, where you know, the oceans are not, ocean temperatures are not hospitable to, to corals, um, given given the, the heat wave. Uh, Christy, we just have uh, about 30 seconds left here. Uh, the message that I got this hour is, is climate action. Yes. That that is, yes. is, is what brings relief and, yes. and has an impact. And Christy, what, can you, what do you want to say to people about that? Um, join a, a group and work on something together that you want to tackle. Maybe it's your neighborhood investing in a community solar garden. Maybe it is going and protesting in front of one of the many banks that are investing in fossil fuel infrastructure. There are lots of organizations in town that offer you opportunities to all get involved in things they're already doing. Look for them and, and go mm. out and join them. Activism is fun. <laughs> well, I, I want to let us just know, too, uh, to learn more about what Minnesotans are doing here to address climate crisis, you can uh, check out the NPR News series, Getting to Green. We're digging into the opportunities and challenges of building a clean energy future, and you can find a link to Getting Green by going to nprnews.org. Our guest today, we've been talking to Christy Manning, uh, professor there in environmental studies at McAllister College, as well as Allison Chu, a reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you, Allison, for the work you're doing. And Christy, thank you for your work as well. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.